Okay, good morning. It's great to see you all today on this beautiful, kind of oddly warm, uh, sunny uh, last Sunday in November, first Sunday in Advent. It is so good to be together as the church. I hope you've had a wonderful week of Thanksgiving. Um, we had the privilege of hosting last minute in our house uh, due to some illness in somebody else's home, and so we had the opportunity to do that. It's been a crazy week in that way, but it's also been very, very good. Um, it's good to be together, and welcome to Advent. Welcome to the first Sunday in this very important season for us in the church. And today, we start a brand new sermon series, four-week sermon series leading up to Christmas that we are calling Advent 2022, A King and a Kingdom. And we're going to spend this month focused on the kingdom that Jesus brought and the way that it is also challenged by the kingdom, the culture of our world today. And I hope that it will be beneficial for you as you look into the season. But just a quick disclaimer that I want to name before we sort of jump in. Um, as today's sermon has come together over the last couple of weeks, I will admit that this feels a lot like a preparation sermon for the rest of the month. Normally, um, what I try to do is focus on one text that we sit with, we let it breathe, and we let it shape us. And today feels like we're going to go left and right a little bit, okay? It's going to be a little bit of around the idea of Advent, and I hope that it's useful for you, as it's been very useful for me to dig into this today. So, I will open up with this question. Actually, before I do, let's just pray and thank the Lord for this time. So, would you join me? God, we just thank you for this community that's gathered together. We thank you for those that have joined us online. We thank you, Lord, for the celebration of life that's happening for Deidre today in Arizona. And we ask that that would be a beautiful time for her and her family. We thank you, Lord, for this congregation and the many prayer requests that are represented in this room right now. We think of the new life that we celebrate. We think of uh, all the things that you've done for us in this season. And we give you thanks for our families. Thanks for the opportunity to be together. And now as we enter into Advent, Lord, help us to reflect on you and what it is that you're doing in and around us, in the life of our church, in our communities, God. And Father, would you give us a wonderful time this morning just opening up Isaiah 9 and letting it speak to us. May your spirit guide us here today. We pray this in your name. Amen. All right, so I have a very interesting question for you this morning. I'm curious how many of you have seen the show Ted Lasso. Raise your hand if you've seen the show of Ted Lasso. Okay, probably about half the room. Very, very good. Ted Lasso is sort of a, uh, actually, it's a very interesting sort of binge-worthy TV show that actually is one of the more popular shows in the United States and, and maybe even uh, wider than that right now. It's something that is on Apple TV. So if you don't have Apple TV, you probably don't have access to this TV show. But it's extremely popular in and around culture today. Ted Lasso. And I got to admit, I love Ted Lasso. So if you've never seen it, let me tell you just a little bit about it. Ted Lasso is an American sports comedy drama television series developed by the comedian Jason Sudeikis. You might recognize his name as somebody being on Saturday Night Live. He's also been in many movies. And he and a team of people wrote this drama comedy series based on a character named Ted Lasso. Now, Ted Lasso is an American college football coach who gets hired to move to England and coach a premier soccer team. He knows nothing about soccer. 
knows nothing about English culture. He lives in the southern part of the United States and gets hired to go and move to England and coach this, this soccer team. And Ted then tries to win over the, the series, the TV show shows, this skeptical English market with his very folksy, sort of southern demeanor. He's got a great mustache, um, but he's all the time dealing with his inexperience in the sport. I love this show, Ted Lasso. Uh, Ted is genuine. Ted is kind. And to a degree, he's strategic. Ted feels like a real person to me, which I think is sort of the phenomenon in entertainment today. He feels like a real person. He's dealing with real emotions, real life challenges that we might even be able to resonate with as the audience. And I love it. Ted's character in the show at first comes across too folksy for people. The audience that watches, including the characters in the show, but his disposition, his giving people the benefit of the doubt, his care for others wins them over one by one, and it also won the audience over. People love Ted Lasso because his character is full of love and kindness, something the world desperately desires right now. Now, last year, the show debuted a very, very popular Christmas special, which seems appropriate for us, even though, remember, we're not in Christmas season yet. We're in the season of Advent, the season of preparation, which we'll talk about a little bit more in a minute. But this Christmas special was entitled The Carol of the Bells, and it was peak Ted Lasso, unrelentingly cheerful and charming. This episode tapped into the beauty and the wonder of Christmas with one main problem. Never once did the episode ever give a nod to Jesus Christ or to God in any way. And maybe Ted Lasso, maybe it didn't need to. I mean, Ted Lasso wasn't made for the church. It wasn't made by, as far as I know, a Christian director or anything like that. I, I'm not making Ted Lasso have to believe what a Christian might believe, but Ted Lasso gives this incredible story with never giving a nod to Jesus. And I think it's interesting commentary in our culture today. Now, in this episode, there were three distinct scenes that highlighted the best of Christmas cheer. The first scene, and I think we've got a photo of this, um, we would resonate with as one that depicted a feast. It is one of the main characters in the show that holds an open house for all the players and the staff that have families that are far from where they live in England, right? So they're, they're essentially away from their families. They're lonely. It's a holiday season. And this main character welcomes them to this open house feast. The day turns into a multicultural feast of epic proportions. It's full of love and of grace. And it shows a deep hospitality that cares deeply for people and shows what happens when hospitality is highlighted. That's the first scene in this, this Christmas special. The second, the second scene comes together when two of the main characters in the show have to sacrifice all of their holiday plans because this little child that is related to one of the main characters has a dental emergency that they have to get taken care of on Christmas Day. And so they spend the entire day trying to find a dentist who will help take care of the little girl's dental issues. And they've got all these elaborate plans, right? They want to do all these wonderful things, but they have to sacrifice their time to care for this little girl. The audience would resonate with this value of putting others before ourselves and helping a little child. 
And the third and final scene that I want to comment on is actually the main character, Ted Lasso himself, brandishing the beautiful mustache, separated from his son in the United States. Ted has just recently went through divorce. He's lonely. His plan for Christmas was to drink whiskey all day and watch hours and hours of It's a Wonderful Life, right? That's what Ted was planning on doing on Christmas Day. He was lonely. He was sad. He's away from his son. And the owner of the, the soccer team, I almost called it a football team, showed up and said, come and help me distribute these packages to these families who have, they don't have a lot. And Ted loves to do those kind of things, so he decides to go with the owner, and the show depicts them giving away these packages to these, these families who were, who were down and out. And there's this one line that happens in this scene that stands um, apart in my mind. Ted says in this scene, I can't think of a better way to spend Santa's birthday. I can't think of a better way to spend Santa's birthday. Now, this entire narrative, and thanks for bearing with me as I explain that, is so interesting because every part of the show epitomizes everything that Jesus taught us. The banquet for outsiders, the selfless search for medical care and caring for a vulnerable child, the beauty of gift giving. The show embodied do unto others what you would have them do unto you. There's a Christian missiologist that I read and, and have heard him speak sometimes. His name is Michael Frost. And he wrote about this episode in his social blog. And he gives a really interesting commentary about this episode. He said this episode was a series of snapshots of the kingdom of God as Jesus taught, but it wasn't Santa's birthday. In fact, the entire narrative of the Ted Lasso show and this beloved character, this show never points to Jesus or to God in any way. Ted's kindness, follow me with this please, Ted's kindness, his thoughtfulness, his positivity, they all spring apparently from somewhere deep within the American soul. Ted brings joy. Ted actually participates in repairing relationships. Ted even participates in changing lives all by himself. Michael Frost goes on to say that Ted Lasso seems to suggest that we can have all the things that Jesus taught without having to bother with Jesus himself. But in the Gospels, the birth narratives front load the kingship of Jesus Christ. The angels miraculously praised the birth of Jesus. Foreign astrologers honored him. Simple men and women declared Jesus to be the promised one. There was even a king at the time who considered Jesus' birth a rivalry to his own throne and tried to assassinate Jesus. The message is clear. A heavenly king had come to establish his kingdom on earth. And that kingdom would be characterized by joy and peace and healing and justice and deliverance from oppression. But the benefits of the kingdom, friends, hear this, are only possible in relationship to Jesus, the king. I would contend that Ted Lasso, as much as I love this show and as much as I love the character, Ted Lasso gives us a glimpse of what it looks like to live and to want the kingdom 
without the king. And I can't think of a better example that highlights the world we live in in Advent as we lean into Advent 2020-22. Now Isaiah 9 paints a very interesting picture about this prophecy about this child that's to be born. It says, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Now, Advent is a special season for the Christian church. It's an important season for all of us to focus all of who we are, our body, our mind, our souls, in a posture of reflective preparation for two things. And we've sung about it here this morning. We look forward to the birth of this Messiah, the coming of the King, and all the kingdom that He came to establish. But we also reflect and look with hope at the future of the second coming of the king. There is a hopeful narrative that is in this season of Advent, and it begs the question, what do we put our hope in? Advent has this dual-natured focus. We celebrate the birth of Messiah, acknowledging the hope, and at the same time acknowledging the hope that is to come. We celebrate what is, and we celebrate what is to come. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this very interesting phrase. He said, the celebration of Advent is possible only to those who are troubled in soul, who know themselves to be poor and imperfect, and who look forward to something greater to come. That phrase, something greater to come, has stuck with me this week as I prepared for today and for this month as we focus on the kingdom that Jesus ushered in. To look forward to something greater to come is a matter of hope in the kingdom of God made possible only through Jesus Christ. It is indeed putting our hope in King Jesus despite the allure of a culture that rejects Jesus. Now, I want to take Bonhoeffer's advice and I want to confess to you something, a struggle of my own, a struggle of my own with Jesus as king of my life and the sort of distorted impact it has on the kingdom of Jesus as I understand it. As I was reflecting on this message series, focusing on the kingdom and the king, focusing on where my own hope comes from on a daily basis, I was struck with the reality of what I consider to be one of my greatest sin struggles, and that is of control. Control. I struggle with control. Trying to control things around me that really are God's to have authority over. I've struggled with this my entire life. When I was younger, that sense of control came out in an ultra-competitive spirit, which I'm not competitive at all any today. Just ask the top golf guys. I let them win last week when we went there together. I'm just kidding. They earned it. But this idea of control came out in a very competitive way when I was younger. And even today, I see that dynamic of control rear its ugly head when there's critical decisions to be made. Parenting four beautiful children, or when important financial conversations come up, I try to build something on my own. I try to control the narrative, and rarely do I first think to let God in and create a narrative, something that God has an authority. With this control dynamic, um, when I'm in a healthy place, when I'm in a healthy space in my own heart, my own mind, oftentimes I'll lay that down at the feet of the Lord, but in days when I'm not feeling great, 
not in a very healthy place, I lean back into what I've created as my own kingdom, my own control narrative. And I try to build my kingdom instead of seeking first the kingdom of God. Mark Sayers is an author and the lead pastor of Red Church in Melbourne, Australia. Right? So we have an Australia theme today. I don't know how that came about. Yeah. Um, Lead pastor at Red Church in Melbourne, Australia. And he has authored some very important um, books over the last, especially the last five years, including a book called Disappearing Church, where he comments on something called the gospel of self. Listen to this. He says, and he's giving commentary to the world that we live in today. Mark Sayers in the gospel of self says this. He says, what we are experiencing right now in our culture is not the eradication of God from the Western mind, but rather the enthroning of self as the greatest authority. God is increasingly regulated to the role of a servant in our lives. He is the massager of the personal will. This is an alternate gospel which moves authority from God to self in which the individual seeks the power to power their own development and their own salvation. And in my weakest moments, I can resonate with this phrase. But the gospel of Jesus is so much better than that. Isaiah 9 actually makes a compelling statement about the king and the kingdom that Jesus brought. With this kingdom will be the restoration of all things, something I could never do in my own power. And it centers on the person and the work of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Jesus tells, or Isaiah tells us that not only a king is coming, but also the kingdom. And it is a kingdom that we are called to submit to. The idea of a kingdom implies absolute, total dominion and authority, sovereign control. And we'll talk about that word sovereign in a minute. The biblical narrative says nothing less than Jesus is king of his kingdom, which Christianity, our faith, is built entirely on. And it is in direct opposition of the kingdom of self. The coming Messiah has three distinct and important aspects that have the power to change lives, change our lives. And Isaiah 9, verse 6 unpacks these three things. First of all, Isaiah 9, 6 unpacks Jesus' humanity. Jesus' humanity. It says a child is born. This is Christmas. This is the nativity. This is God coming to the world as a human baby. And we see this mentioned even in John chapter 1 when it said the Word became flesh. Jesus was fully human. And when we're Dealing with this is a fully human God and it is essential to our faith because it builds an unbelievable bridge for us as fellow humans to Jesus. And the New Testament gives us all sorts of human characteristics of Jesus' humanity. He was tired and he slept and he was hungry. He was sad. We even see how Jesus was at times angry. The humanity of Jesus is so important to our faith. But verse 6 also points to Jesus' deity. It says, to us a son is given. To us a son is given. And if you were in your Bible apps, you're underlining something in your Bible, I would ask you to underline that word given. 
Because this given, he was given to the world as a savior. John 3.16 uses the same phrase. It says, God so loved the world that he gave his son. Jesus never became God. He was always God. And at one point, God gave him to the world. This shows the deity of Jesus. Jesus was fully human and fully God. And then we see this word sovereign come into play. In verse 6, it says, and the government will be on his shoulders. Now, the word sovereign is, is literally defined as a supreme ruler, someone who has ultimate authority or power. The government will be on his shoulders, and it speaks to the sovereignty of the coming Messiah. Isaiah is peering into the future well beyond Bethlehem, well beyond the cross, into the future kingdom where Jesus is the sovereign Lord. Jesus is fully human. Jesus is fully God. And Jesus is fully sovereign. And I want to go back to our original question of the day. Who do we put our hope in? And in Advent 2022, in the world that we live in, that we face every single day, this is a critical question. Do we put our hope in the gospel of self that displaces ultimate authority from God to our own self, our own motivations, our own desires, and the roller coaster that ensues? Or do we put our hope in this historical, sovereign, resurrected Christ who also came to establish God's kingdom on earth? Maybe to take this question a step further, we should consider the question of authority. Oh, we... We don't like to talk about authority, right? Hope is one thing, authority is another. Authority means we're actually going to have to submit something in our lives that oftentimes we don't like to do. But maybe this is a question of authority. Whose authority do we sit under? Our own authority or the authority of Christ Jesus? I would contend that the kingdom we build under our own authority is limited. And at best, a shadow of what Jesus is building, has been building, and will continue to build. Now, there is um, a sociologist named Philip Reif who is well known for his work on dividing cultures into three broad types. Philip Reif, sociologist, dividing cultures into three broad types. And I think these types are actually relevant for our conversation today. And he goes way back in the first culture. He says the first culture, I think we have a slide with this, thank you, is um, a pre-Christian culture. Philip Reef says the first culture is a pre-Christian culture. The individual is a victim of fate in the world. The world is actually full of irrational spiritual forces. To survive, the individual must obey the taboos and the gods of the world are generally a frightening and spiritually charged place. So think pre-Roman expansion, Roman, pre-Roman empire expansion, right? Pre-Christian culture. The world is shaped by many, many different spiritual forces. The world is highly spiritual, but there's no knowledge of Christ. That's Reef's first culture. Second culture, Reef says, come then with a monotheistic view of God, a singular view of God. And it is rooted in a Judeo-Christian ethic, Second culture people centered their entire order on the worship of one true God. The whole of the universe is arranged by God 
in a rational and sacred order. There are sacred prohibitions and there are holy commandments to be obeyed. And these ensure justice and human flourishing. God reveals himself through scripture. There is a text. There is a book that we find our order in. Thus, the religion is creedal. We have a creed. We have a mantra. This is what we believe. The individual finds peace and security and faith by worshiping God and obeying his commands and world. This is what Reef says is the second culture. They're a monotheistic view of God. They've rejected paganism. They work from a sacred book. They're creedal and they find life through worship. And then comes along the third culture. And third culture, you cannot miss this, exists primarily as defined itself, they define themselves against second culture. Third culture identifies themselves by deconstructing second culture. Third culture people believe in no greater truth. There is no sacred order. Instead, their energy is devoted to deconstructing what second culture considered sacred. Are you following me on this? This is so important. They have no creed, but only heresy, and their cultural power is centered on transgressing, transgressing the sacred commandments and prohibitions of the second culture. Hear this. The only authority is found in the individual. Thus, there, are no, there is no possibility of a sacred order. All authority that challenges and restricts the autonomy of the individual must be leveled. The meaning and purpose of all stories, rules, and symbols is contested, and it is left up to individual interpretation. Third culture is completely defined by going against second culture, rebellion against creedal culture. It's anti-culture. It's a deconstructionist movement. Ethics are based on individualism, and they run with the idea of the values of Christianity, but without the king. Third culture wants the kingdom without the king. Welcome Ted Lasso as a cultural narrative of the times that we live in. In the West, we see the rise of third culture. And the goal is not to revert to first culture, a pre-Christian paganism, but rather it is a movement and culture bent on disfiguring the second culture. Third culture questions every story, every symbol of faith, every sign of Christ is contested. And listen, Friends, it's important to hear this. It is very easy for us to get wrapped up into third culture. Second culture people, and I'm off script a little bit on this, but second culture people uh, found a time when they tried to evangelize first culture people, and there was a colonization that happened. And we see all the problems that came with that. Now, those of us who value more of a second culture mentality try to live into the world of third culture, and what is happening is the church is being colonized by third culture values. We're giving up our faith and authority in Jesus and Jesus' kingdom as a community. For us to exist in a world where third culture is coming of age, where that third culture continues to push against a biblical worldview in which we point all glory to the resurrected Christ, where we are faced daily with the deconstruction of our faith in every marketing campaign from one TikTok to another, the question comes down to where do we put our hope? Whose glory are we pointing towards? Under whose authority 
do we live? Whose kingdom are we building into? Now, when I was a youth pastor back in the day, I used to use um, this illustration that may or may not resonate with you. I've really wrestled if I should even say it. I'm going to say it anyways. We've got a few minutes before pizza. Um, This illustration, when I would go and speak at different youth ministry retreats, I would use this illustration called Basement Boy. I don't know where I heard this illustration. I'm sure I didn't make it up, but I heard this illustration of Basement Boy, okay? And I'm going to give it to you today, and maybe it resonates with you, maybe it doesn't. I'm going to trust the Lord to do what the Lord does, right? But Basement Boy actually... It feels to me like it kind of makes sense with what we're talking about today because see, Basement Boy, just an illustration, not a true story. For some reason, this little child was born into this beautiful basement. We call him Basement Boy. We don't even know his name, right? But he's built, built, born into this beautiful basement, this huge house that had a big basement and the basement was beautiful. And Basement Boy never left the basement. He just lived his life there. And why wouldn't he? It was a beautiful basement. It had plush carpet, the kind of carpet that when you're watching a show, you can lay on, you know, you don't even need the couch. It's so nice, comfortable, heated floors, you know, like we like in Minnesota sometimes, right? It had beautiful paint on the walls and there was great art that the basement boy could engage in. He had a great kitchen with tons of food. And often his kitchen was stocked. We don't know by who because it's an illustration. We don't need to know all the answers, right? But he had all these things. And he learned to cook himself up some really good meals. And it was fantastic. On this wall over here, he had like a 50-inch HD TV. And he had PlayStation 4. Sorry, not a PlayStation 5. And he had a multimedia center where he would listen to tapes and CDs. Okay? And Basement Boy lived his life with all of his needs met in this basement. He never even thought of leaving because that's just not what he thought of. He had great books to read, all sorts of things. And one day, there was a knock on the door. And somebody knocked on the door and they opened the door. And they said, basement boy, what are you doing down there? Come outside. He goes, they said to the basement boy, what do you dream of? Now remember, basement boy's perspective was only of the basement. And so, what do I dream of? He said, well, actually... You know, I'm 17 years old now. The carpet's 17 years old. It'd be nice to get new carpet in our basement. It'd be really nice maybe if you could change the paintings on the wall. I'd like to look at, you know, different posters or paintings or whatever. In fact, it'd be great if I could get a 60-inch television and maybe a PlayStation 5. And I've heard about this new, what, MP4 or iTunes. Can I get one of those, right? Maybe some new books. Maybe a new grill to cook up on my food. And all along, we hear the basement boy talk about his dreams, how they are limited to the basement. There's sort of a matrix theme coming here, if you know what I'm talking about. And the person standing outside the door is like, basement boy, come out of the basement. Come and live into this beautiful kingdom that God created for you. Come and see with your own eyes the beauty of a sunset from a beach. Come and experience the, 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 the breathless wonder of falling in love. Come and experience what it looks like to live in community with other people, the highs and the lows of trying to figure out life together. Come and be a part of a backyard barbecue where there's laughter and there's joy and there's delicious food. Your dreams are too small. And I think when we think about the third culture people who deconstruct second culture, it's like that of the basement boy where the perspective is so limited and we eliminate the perspective of Jesus in the world. 
I give that to you today, and I'm wondering, I guess, two things. Is the illustration resonate with you? Or maybe does it resonate with somebody you know? Because I know this for sure. We all have friends in our communities who have been burned by the church. And I'll say this. Um, there's something about the deconstruction movement that we can learn a lot from, that we should probably pay close attention to. As we go to serve our community, how do we take the kingdom that Jesus is building and care for people and bring them the hope of the king of the world? But I also wonder about us individually. What kingdom have we been leaning into? What kingdom have we been building? Have we been building our own? Are our dreams limited to our own control, our own perspective? Is our hope in our own self? Or is it in Jesus Christ? We are told in Matthew chapter 6 to seek first the kingdom of God. Friends, I can't think of a better thing to offer this world than the heart that we have to seek Jesus first and to give all glory to him. There is a beautiful confidence and humility that come in to play when we put ourselves in that position. May that be true in our lives this Advent, and may that be true of our church as we move forward, as we try to care for the community that God has called us to. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, may God bless you. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how sweet it is that you call us to follow your son, Jesus. I know the temptation to build our own kingdom is relevant for all of us. And so, Lord, I just want to pray a prayer of confession right now. Father, forgive me for the times that I've built my own kingdom and not your own. For the times that I have tried to control the narrative and not point it to your glory. And Father, I don't know what each of us might be dealing with when we think about whose kingdom do we focus on, but God, would you show us clearly the things that we need to lay down at your feet. The way that we are called to participate in the work that your Holy Spirit is doing, building your kingdom that we delight to be a part of. And Father, we pray for our church as we did this past Wednesday. We pray, God, that you would give this congregation, these beautiful people of hope in you, Jesus, a great and holy vision to show the world the beauty of Jesus. Lord, we confess to you we don't know how to do it. We live in a world that is deconstructing everything that once was held sacred about the church. And I'm just asking, Lord, for a new movement of the Holy Spirit in Edina, in southern Minneapolis, in the Twin Cities, in Minnesota, and beyond. Wherever our people are, Father, a new movement of the Holy Spirit that we would see lives transformed by the love and the joy of Jesus. In May Advent 2022, be a season for us to reflect on the, on the kingdoms that we've been building and the focus of our lives. Thank you, God, for your word. Bless our day as we gather together to sing this last song and then to join downstairs for a feast. We love you, Lord. Amen and amen.